Hey, hey, everybody, what's happening? It's Tony Flow Real for Hangry and Horny Podcast, and I'm coming to you from Nord and Iron. So it is, as they say, and uh, just having a great time here in Northern Ireland near Belfast in a town called Banger. And before I introduce my next guest, Casper van der Moylen, I want to give a quick shout out to my sponsors of this show, F-Bomb Nut Butters, Fat Bomb. They make delicious nut butters. They are macadamia based and they have different flavors from salted chocolate and pecan macadamia and macadamia with coconut. They even have a macadamia with sea salt. So delicious nut butters. They're healthy, good fats for the body. Really awesome for people that are on the ketogenic diet or any diets that require more healthy fats. It's vegetarian and vegan friendly. And these are amazing packets that you can travel with. Um, eat as snacks or a light meal to on the go. They have a little tearaway pouch uh, that you just rip the top off and drop that F-bomb down the pipe. So if you're interested in getting some amazing fats, delicious, uh, dense nutrition into your body, check out dropanfbomb.com and get yourself a box of yummy delicious nut butters the first order is 20% off when you use the promo coupon code which is flowreal f-l-o-w-r-e-a-l and you'll get 20% off of your first order so big shout out to ross and care who are the creators of f-bomb they're just amazing people and it's so awesome to see the company just skyrocketing with their growth. They're now going to be available. I think they are available now at Vitamin Shop. Uh, and soon these uh, major uh, grocery outlets. Um, so pretty soon just be on the lookout for F-bombs in supermarkets. That's also available on Amazon and of course their website at dropanfbomb.com. My next guest is a real, real dear friend of mine. We've known each other for a couple of years. We met each other through the uh, Wim Hof group. Wim Hof is the Iceman who set the Guinness Book of World Records like maybe 20 times. He has been known to be researched by scientists because of his ability to withstand the ice cold and now there is actually a science uh, documentation and research done on the Wim Hof method which is the ability to learn how to adapt to extreme environments especially the cold through the Wim Hof method which requires or uses breathing uh, method and also exposure to progressive uh, colder and colder temperatures. So Wim Hof is not an anomaly. He has taught other people how to uh, adapt to these more extreme environments. And one of his head instructors and right-hand guy is Casper Casper Vandermoylen. And Casper also hails from the Netherlands, as 
does Wim Hof and Casper. His story is that he um, had many challenges growing up, including being uh, overweight um, on the verge of a you know obesity and suffered from anxiety and depression. He is a, an amazing creative artist. He has uh, the ability to like rap and play multiple musical instruments. Uh, knows a few languages, and uh, despite all this and being a teacher, he just always felt like there were things missing in his life and that he wasn't fulfilling his potential. So he basically wrote this book called Mind Lift, and in that process, he learned to write a book, you know, applying some of the things that he learned to overcome these challenges, and now he shares how he did it with this book called Mind Lift and how he's able to now teach all the things that he's learned on like how to learn, which is one of the things that we're not taught in school. We're just taught information and, uh, you know, how to regurgitate information. So without further ado, please give it up to Casper Vander Moylen. Shakalaka, what's up, Casper Vandermoylen? What's up, Tommy? <laughs> you human savage animal, you uh, filthy bastard. Yeah, that's me. Yes. I'm feeling good, man. You look good, dude. I just woke up. Calm nine down. and a half, nine and a half hours of sleep. Finally, dude. Dude. How Two and a half hours of REM sleep. Really? Yeah. How'd you measure that? Half a liter of coffee. I measured it with my coffee cup. Okay. And then the sleep. <laughs> Your REM sleep. I measured the sleep with my ring, with my aura ring. Dude. Shine. Oh, what's up with that, man? Tell me yeah. more. So this is the aura ring from uh, Finland, and it's a cool company. They make this ring, and it has sensors in there, and it does continuous heart rate variability throughout the night, and it has like uh, heart rate variability, core body temperature, breathing rate, heart rate, heart rate. And it makes all these metrics and tells you how well you've slept and how ready you are for the day. And you know what it said this morning? What? You're fucking ready, bro. <laughs> hangry and horny to the max. <laughs> Just woke me up. Casper, <laughs> you're hangry and horny today. Yeah, man. So big shout out to Scott Riley of Causeway Living for hosting us here in Ireland. Yeah. Are we in banger, dude? Banger. 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 <laughs> banger, Ireland. Yeah, she's a sweetie. Banger in Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. Yes. And Nimasaki. What's up, buddy? We got a studio audience here. Studio audience. He's behind the camera. Hey. So, what's up with the aura ring, man? Why are you measuring this stuff? I'm just interested in um, these metrics. And what I like to do every now and then is I use quantif self-quantification. Are you a geek, bro? A little bit. Okay. A little bit of a nerd. <laughs> But the thing is that there's all these internal metrics that you can feel, um, but every now and then you need to have some help to recalibrate what you can feel. So I'm 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 very much not part of the biohacker team that goes like we should implement technology as much as we can and like replace human function or improve human function through technology. I think we should use it as little tools to um, kind of recalibrate your internal measurements. 
Right. right. So my sleep has been messed up for quite a while. Uh, two and a half years ago when my daughter was born, she didn't sleep for like nine months. We had I did so much touring across the world that I had jet lags all over and I, I just couldn't get my sleep right. And I was starting to use sleep tracking apps and I started to use all these little like hacks to improve my sleep. And nothing really worked, and I couldn't figure it out why. And then I was like, oh, maybe I just need to measure better. And I measured better, and now I realized it's about REM sleep, and now I'm looking at improving that. You know, So just a good tool, and then I'll use it for a while and see how it goes, and I'll probably stop using it because I want to be able to internally get the sensation instead of having to see the measurement. Right, so you're able to quantify internally with an external measurement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when I wake up and like my heart rate is up, I know that you know, I'm going to need to change my day. You know, if my heart rate, if I feel my heart rate variability is not where it's supposed to be, I'm not going to do as hard of a workout or maybe not even a workout at all. I'm not going to be doing as much work as I was planning. I need to have like a rest day. But if I wake up and my heart rate's super low and my heart rate variability is really on point, then I know like oh, I can do like a hard workout and just get everything done. And that internal sense is pretty strong because I've used things like heart rate variability and like uh, also like a Muse headband actually to measure different things and to go like, oh, so if I feel like this, I know that this is the measurement for brainwave for heart rate variability and then I can add this much intensity to my day. Um, but now it's just time to recalibrate. Got it. Your mojo is making my heart rate really fast right now. Mojo. <laughs> so give everybody what you mean, a flow Flojo, right? Flojo. Mojo, Flojo, Glow. Glow. Yeah. So how did you come to this? Like, why would you measure this? What's your background? Well, I have a lot of experience with uh, not feeling optimal. So that's how it, how it all started out for me. So I was a science teacher five or six years ago. And... Um, I was trying to kind of hack the school system and change the way the school worked and change the way education worked and use like creativity and empowerment for these kids. But, um, and this was, is in Netherlands. This is in the Netherlands and I was a science teacher and I was doing that for years and I just couldn't really get it done. And I realized my own life wasn't really at the point where I could expect the system to change without me changing. And uh, yeah, I was like 35 kilos overweight. I had uh, migraines and I had like all these injuries and issues in my body that were actually mostly formed by me not doing anything. Like they weren't spectacular sports injuries. It was just like my sleep was so fucked up that I injured my shoulder while sleeping, <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> and um, how's that possible? So yeah, I had this really weird thing where my I was like, I was so coma. When I would finally sleep, I was so like comatose that I would sleep with my arm or my head on my arm like that, and my. I would just wake up and my arm was completely numb and it took me an hour to wake it up and that happened like two weeks in a row and then it completely messed up my deltoid and I just couldn't lift my arm any farther than like above shoulder height without my deltoid cramping completely. So you like compressed a nerve or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've had that too where I fell yeah, yeah. asleep and then like I, I lifted my arm and it just like dropped on me. I'm like, ah! That's crazy. Is it ever going to wake up? It's and right dead. now, people, they, they think like I'm, I'm pretty, uh, they, they think I'm athletic. Right, because now I'm in shape. Mm-hmm. And I tell them about the shoulder injury and they go like, oh, so what did you do? And they expect some kind of spectacular thing. And I'm like, oh, it's just a fat guy. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> and uh, it sucked. So that's really funny. Um, so I had that and I had some migraines and I had just really low energy throughout the day and lots of worries, anxiety, periods of depression. It's crazy to see you and then your like before photos. It's like a total human, different human being. Yeah, it's a totally different human being, and also like my my um, my my skill of um, 
self transformation has been improving over the last year. And a year ago, I was actually, uh, I, I'm, I'm about to post this one year transformation thing because I've been learning how to really like get in the nervous system and train certain functions. And uh, yeah, even that last year is a big, big change. And I look completely different. And I'm going to post like 2011 Casper, 2018 Casper. And then everybody's going to go, yeah, that's not the same guy. And I just go, thank you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not crazy. It's not the same guy. It's amazing like how fast you can evolve yourself once you have like these tools and teachers that you yeah. learn from. And one of them was Wim Hof, the Iceman. Yeah. Well, I, I, I found him pretty late on in the, in the journey. Uh, because I was, um, let me think, it was like 2011, by the summer I'd lost most of my weight. I started kind of like getting into, I lost most of the weight without doing doing any exercise. I just uh, got really good at dieting and testing all these different diets. And it turns out uh, none of them work, but all of them work depending on your state of mind. That's what I was learning. I was like, oh, actually, I tried everything from the wrong mindset, from the wrong emotional state or the wrong, but like a disempowering one, and nothing worked. And I was like, oh, these diets don't work. And then I started trying them all again after I'd done some significant emotional processing and mindset work, and everything worked. I was like, cool, got that. Then I got into movement, uh, signed up for a Tough Mudder, started running, started messing up my body through all kinds of exercise that wasn't really good for me, but it was better than nothing, right? Uh, started getting a little bit strong and started running like marathons and stuff like that. Um, and then I was like, okay, cool. So we've got the mental stuff, the, the, the mindset stuff. We've got the nutrition, food. That's all pretty obvious. Let's see what's less obvious. And then I started getting into biohacking and all these different modalities that were out there. And one of the things I found was the Wim Hof method. I actually found it when I was at school teaching. I was teaching these kids about... Um, so my, my subject was like a five-hour-a-week subject, and one of the hours would always be just random inspiration. We'd just turn on YouTube, and we'd just like type in funny words and see if we could find something cool, scientific, and inspiring. That was basically it. And then one of them, we, we came to like people who can do amazing things, and we had like a guy who could like bend spoons with his mind or like like magnetize nails to his chest and shit. And then uh, it, there was this one that came up that said... Um, he holds 23 world records and he conquers the cold and blah, blah, blah. You call him the Iceman. And then they said Wim Hof. And I was like, hey, that's a Dutch name. So we searched him. And we were like, oh, man, this guy can do all this amazing stuff. And it was one of the first documentaries that was on YouTube. And um, I was like, wow, this guy lives really close to my house. So um, uh, I'll check it out. And I went there, did a one-day workshop. And I was like, yep, I'm in. And I just told him, I'm like, teach me everything. And he was like, sure, man come along so i spent about a year training with him learning from him in the instructor's course and um that was really when i got into the optimization part because it was like normally healthy but normally wasn't you know normal just wasn't that appealing to me anymore and um i decided to uh, uh to take on every single thing i could find that has to do with self-optimization and like uncovering unlocking certain things that are hidden in your body and the wim hof method played a massive role in that and so what was the thing about Wim Hof that you learned? Well, the, 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 the one thing that got me into it is that I, I went to his workshop and somebody asked him about like smoking or drinking or drugs or whatever. And he was just standing there ranting like he does. He's going like, ah, this and that. And we're going to win the war on bacteria. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, bro, preach it, preach it. And then somebody asked him about like, you know, drugs or whatever or alcohol. And he was like, yeah, man. You got to drink and smoke and fuck and eat and do whatever the fuck you want. But the question is, 
who's making that choice, right? And it's like, is that a higher self choice, conscious one, or are you just like on autopilot doing it? And when he said that, I was like, I'm learning from this guy. And I just came for the ice, and then he said that, I was like, yes. And then we did the breathing, and I was just like, and uh, yeah, from there, I was just in it. So did you write your book at this point? I was So I was writing my book. So Mind one, Lift, right? Yeah, so my book, Mind Lift, was about combining all of these different modalities and things that I've learned into one thing. Because um, basically, I, I was a professional musician for a while. I started teaching about uh, education, innovation, creativity. I started teaching about uh, speaking, like doing speaking about um, how to work with kids in puberty, about how the brain works. I was doing like communication type stuff, how to present yourself on stage, like all these different things. And then I got interested in all this health stuff. People saw my transformation. They started asking me to speak about like diet and about movement. And it was just all these different things. But to me, it was the same thing, which was speaking to people, teaching. I was just a teacher. And anything I learn, I want to teach. And uh, then I wanted to turn that into a business. And nobody really took me seriously because I, I was like, they were like, what do you speak about? I was like, tell me what to speak about, man. <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 we need an expert on this topic. And they'd call me, like, for example, to do a, a drum workshop. And, and they said, like, yeah, we're also looking for somebody to, to speak about this topic. And I go, oh, I do that too. And I didn't get booked for any of them because they were like, no, we need the expert. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, shit. So one of the reasons I wrote a book, I was actually multiple reasons, but one of the first reasons I came to a book as a, a means for putting my message out into the world was I just had this massive mind map on my wall with everything, single thing I had experience in and I was interested in and I wanted to learn about and it was like a hundred different topics. And I was like, how, how am I going to ever turn this into a career or a business if it's all of it? I need to have some like one thing that I do. Yeah, I need to focus. And then I was like, oh, hold on. Maybe I can just learn about focus and that'll be my thing. And then I'll take all of these things that I'm interested in and I will, uh, there he is. Look at him. Ooh, oh. Hey, Nima, what's yeah. up? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm angry and I'm horny. Angry and I'm horny. <laughs> so I took all those different things and I was like, what is the one like common thread between all of them? And how can I turn that into a good story in a book? And then I started putting my life story in there. And I was like, that's going to be it. This is, I'm just going to write Mindlift. Mindlift is like a vague title. And the subtitle is Mental Fitness for the Modern Mind, which is also vague. So I get to like play around with it. And I'm going to research everything I can for a few months. And then I'm going to write it in 30 days. And then one of the things I was researching was the Wim Hof Method. And it just became like a massive uh, part of my work because it's so powerful. And it, be- and it got so popular. And also because I got involved with developing the instructor scores and things like that. So you learned how to learn, basically. And you learned how like the body and the mind and the brain works. And how yeah. to integrate all these different techniques and tools yeah. to improving yourself, to growing and evolving. Yes. Consciously. Absolutely. Okay. So that's like, it's about fundamental principles. Like what is the one underlying thing that drives everything? That's always my question. I never go like techniques and methods are like out on the outside of the spectrum, but at the core there is principles. And for me, the main principle is learning. Because I think the, the one thing that humans naturally want to do is evolve, grow, learn, however you want to call it. So I focused on that. So I was asking, how can I improve my ability to do that thing, that basic human function of self-evolution? And then whatever you, whatever method or technique or modality or diet or movement, whatever you throw in there, as long as you focus on the continuous growth of yourself as a human, then you know that's, that's going to bring you everything you need, I think. 
what was going on a couple of years ago when uh, Hangry and Horny birthed. So you yeah. were, we all got a house together. We were putting a event, and uh, I think it was after the event. But I came downstairs. You were no, no. It was out. in the. It was. It was right before. So I was. Um, this was my first self-organized tour in the U.S. And it was my first self-organized workshop in the U.S. And then I had a room that was booked. And also, like, I was... So this was the, the tour in October where I was going to launch my book. So I had spent a summer where I was supposed to have time off. And I spent that uh, translating my own book, recording the audio book, doing all the design work. I was working with a publisher, but I did way too much myself. That's just one of the so things I do. translating it from Dutch to English. Translating it from Dutch to English and like, planning out this tour, traveling with my family across the like into a country that i didn't know and i was just like rocking it and everything went and i got so many invitations and the workshops filled up and i was like yeah we're doing it but it's going american dream baby and uh but then we went there and like we got to the house and i was so jet lagged and i was messed up and i couldn't sleep there we had this tiny shit little room for some reason <laughs> yes. this is an inside story and, uh, assholes <laughs> and, uh, and the assholes castle uh, but it was amazing though but the thing was that i had this room for the workshop and it turned out not being available, and I, I had all this stuff going on. I had people coming from all over the place, and I didn't have a room for the workshop. And then Nima saved my ass by by getting me um, a yoga room that was actually like in the area and affordable and everything. But then the night before the workshop, like all of that work just came together in this massive anxiety attack. Now I've had anxiety attacks my whole life. This is something I've I've uh, been gotten pretty good at dealing with, but. I thought that wouldn't really happen anymore that much because I was just rocking it. Everything was fine. And then I was like in that house. The next day was the workshop and I spent that entire day, like 14 hours of trying to get everything done for the workshop, completely overworked. And um, anyway, I got this massive anxiety attack in the middle of the night and I didn't sleep all night. It was just like completely jacked up like <laughs> like that. It was, And I've had anxiety attacks before and this was just way up there with the worst ones. Um, I have to say that I'm lucky to have been free of anxiety attacks for uh, the longest continuous period of my life now, which is like probably since then. I think that was the last giant one mm -hmm. uh, because now I've I've learned how to really study um, anxiety and how to really um, process it, but also how to train your body to not have to go there anymore, which is very interesting, but we'll get into that later. But this was such a good moment because I basically, I hardly knew you and Scott and we were in that house together, and there was so much love and so much awesomeness going on. And I woke up that morning, and I was like, we got to cancel the workshop. And you came down, and, and Scott came down, and, and you both were like, no, man, we're getting this done. Because <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't even have an ice bath. And then in my mind, I remember you and Scott saying that, no, man, get in the fucking car. We're getting it done. And in my mind, I remember you both putting on sunglasses and then rock music started playing. <laughs> and we just walked out and I just, I was, I just followed because I was, my brain did not work at all. I had no sleep and the jet lag and everything. And I just followed you guys and we got in the car and you got into this flow. This is like the most hilarious thing ever. I was just like sitting there going like, how am I ever going to survive this day? And you just got into this flow. You're like, yeah, man, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Oh, man, I'm so horny. I'm so horny. Casper, I'm so, look at that girl on the street. I'm so horny. I'm hungry too. I'm hungry. I'm hungry and I'm horny. I'm hangry and horny. 
and we were like on the I four hundred five, right from Anaheim like, to LA. Yeah, and you were like swearing at people. You were like in the car going, ah, "I'm angry and horny," ah, like that. And we had like an hour drive like that, full on road rage. Oh man! Yeah. And then we got out of the car, and I was just fixed. <laughs> I was just repaired by that for some reason. I laughed my ass off so oh, hard. Oh man, you guys are laughing so hard. Uh, and hilarious. that was such. A, and the interesting thing was that that was such a good workshop because that was Nima showed up to help and. Um, uh, some of the most important like characters that have uh, added like value and the good stuff to um oh we got Miko is online he's watching he was hey, there too Miko what's Miko? up man he was at the house he was at Castle the house Castle. too he was at- you guys come in the picture because he's about to drop some amazing props on you too <laughs> so uh no we'll uh Anybody watching the, uh, the if YouTube you watch video, the video, yeah, so, you'll so see this guy. So see Scott <laughs> and Nima. Yes, Nima, uh, I met you there at the Somebody first take time. a screenshot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a family Which, uh, picture. And I get yeah. the fuck out of the frame, right. guys. You're messing it up. Get out of here. <laughs> the, uh, no, but you'll come like, on hangry and horny later. We had you guys helping out, and that was great. But also like the people who were attending in the workshop, they ended up being like the most, some of them were the most ridiculous funny characters that I've ever met that have played like massive roles in our funny stories on the inside jokes. But also there's like the, some of the people that showed up were really influential to the other work that I was able to do. And that was one of the worst work days. And, and the cool thing was at the end of the day, I was like, if I can go through a day of high, because it was a really good workshop, like it was high quality teaching. Everybody was really excited. And I was like, shit, man, I wrote a book. I translated it. I did all of that work. I planned this entire tour. I flew across the world. I had like the most intense panic attack ever. And I completely rocked this day. Right. So at the end of that day, I was just like, fuck it. I don't care. Bring it on. You know, if I, if I can be in my worst possible state and still deliver like some of the highest quality teaching out there, I'm good. Bring it on. And that was such like a massive growth moment for me. That's cool. Could you add, uh, well, one of the things is I think a lot of people relate to you because you do have uh, and had uh, dealt with like depression, anxiety, uh, being overweight. And then also this whole imposter syndrome where it's like you are teaching these things and yet, you know, there's this pressure to actually like, you know, practice what you preach, walk to talk. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you're human, like you fall off the wagon, but you also found ways to just keep going. Yeah, for sure. And I'm much more balanced now. Like I used to have this idea that you can aspire to like being this superhuman being and to not ever have to um, face the dark side anymore. There was like a, a premise that is taught to us. Like there's no, I, we talked about this um uh, last night or the night before, actually, where there's no <clears throat> attention to the shadow side of life, right? Even like the basic premise of the Western world that it's built on our spiritual vision is there's a good and a bad, which, okay, we know that we have a God and a devil, but you're supposed to always aspire to the God and never dance with the devil, never even go there, never even like feel it, never see it, never acknowledge it. That's what what's happened in our view of the world, right? So it goes that deep. And then in modern education and the way we're brought up in the West, at least, we like we try to uh, kind of ignore that there's death and we try to ignore that there's bad stuff and there's stuff like we learn that there's things you're not allowed to feel like the worst thing that can happen 
for a parent is their kid getting angry or sad. They go, oh, no, 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 don't be angry or sad. Don't do it. And they try to like numb it out and like, do all this different weird stuff that make sure the kid doesn't feel angry or sad. While those are some of the most powerful emotions you can have, right? And the same thing goes for fear. And everything we've labeled as negative emotions, like the whole shadow side, we've been taught that it's not supposed to be there, which is too bad because you're taking away like 50% of the spectrum of human experience. Including so, sexuality. Uh, including sexuality, very much. Yeah, absolutely. So there's all these taboos on all this stuff that's really good for us to have. So before I was doing all the right things um, in getting myself in shape and getting myself out there, um, but a part of it was also still my idea that it could escape from a part of myself that I didn't like. And what I've learned now is to just, that's why it's about um, wholeheartedness, basically, where you're whole. Like if you're holy, it means you've become whole, right? And being whole means that all of the parts of you are allowed to be there. So the part of you that might be, you know, the, the scary little kid that gets the anxiety attack, it needs care. And that's another great thing that I, um, that I learned recently. And I think I got this from um, a guy called James Fadiman, who's actually famous for his LSD microdosing research. But he also has this amazing work that he's doing on kind of like the multiplicity on, on the human mind. And this is something I've always uh, practiced, but it was never that clear to me that, you know, we have different characters living inside of us and we don't have split personalities you know split personalities is an actual disorder that is completely dysfunctional but we have we do have multiple personalities i mean there's a i mean you know you can get into an argument with yourself and win right so that means that there's different parts of you there's a higher self and a lower self and an inner child and there's a perfectionist and there's like somebody who's judging and there's somebody who's playful and you know you can give them all these different names um, which has been helpful to me to name them. Because if, if I'm in that state, that anxious state, the imposter, that's how I call him, the imposter is active. I go like, ah, wait. And before, he used to just be the most dominant player and he'd take over the steering wheel and i just go. And now I go like, oh, this is just the imposter. Like he gets a say, he's part of the council, but he doesn't get the steering wheel. And that's such a massive thing. But before you get there, before you can get to that level of personal freedom, you have to first integrate all of those parts in your whole being and take them out of the shadows and out of the dark and go like, all right, so what does this part of me need? Where did it develop? At what point in my life did I need this part, right? The perfectionist, which is very strong in me, which creates a lot of misery has always also created a lot of amazing things in my life. Like the fact that I was able to have the drive and the energy to build this business that I have now and this lifestyle, a lot of that was fed by the perfectionist who's just like i don't give a shit who says what i'm doing this in my way i'm doing it on my own I'm not counting on anybody and just and you have a high level of standard to meet as well exactly yeah and 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 that's a lot of a big part of my drive is there and now that's brought me a lot and it's no longer serving me to have the perfectionist at the steering wheel so i go all right so what else is there like who's who's the wiser one that can now take the wheel perfectionist can can uh, take a seat in the back and every now and then say something and i'll listen but it won't be the one in charge. So I think that that's one of the main things that I've learned about all this stuff, that in order to really get to that point where you're balanced and centered, uh, it's about becoming whole and not just picking up anything you can to get away from the parts of you that you don't like. So how are you able to approach these places where you're uncomfortable and you're in fear? What, what kind of places? Just the places like where you wrote a book, you speak right. in public, like all these things where... 
you to me you're like ultra creative you're you have this musical background a rapping background yeah performing background you are doing things that a lot of people like kind of wish they were doing i think as well because they see you like on a pedestal in some ways just because of the way that these things are set up when you're on a stage or a platform but you are out there like what's going on before you get out there and like how are you able to talk yourself to do these kind of things yeah that's very interesting that's a really good question i actually started um speaking about this at my workshops where i tell people that what they see the state they see me in is my best state like if i'm on stage and i'm speaking and i tell this beforehand now i say you know if you're impressed by what I'm doing, if you think I'm any better or any smarter than you, it just means that you get to see me in my best state. Um, I'm lucky in a sense that my most optimal state of being happens in front of people, right? So that's why people that see me and they go like, oh, Casper's so amazing. They see me in my best state because as soon as I get in front of the crowd and I get into a flow, I just go into like this version of me that is so much smarter and more creative than any other version of me. So that's my best moment. So I tell people like, I'm lucky that I do that in front of people because some people do it like behind their computer and nobody ever sees it, right? And uh, some people have it like in their in their art studio and nobody ever sees it. And it, to me, my flow trigger is on stage in front of people speaking. Or when I was doing music, it was when I was doing improvisation because I would get anxious about doing written uh, poetry or written raps or whatever, like doing a show that was supposed to go in a way. I got anxious about that. But if it was like, there's no plan, I just grabbed the mic and started improvising, that's where I got into flow. So I had a lot of good training there. Um, and I, I still feel some fear before I go on stage and I, I get like worried or I don't really, and I'm in this control mindset. And then I just, all I need to do is trust that I will find flow once I'm there. It's the same thing as like a surfer, like looking at the waves and going like, oh, would I be able to get that wave? I'll never be able to get it. Like, am I, how am I going to do it? Try to control everything. But then as soon as you're on it and you're on the wave and then you're riding it, then it's like, it's all happening. So I have, I've had to learn, really learn to trust because I've, I've definitely taken myself out of really good things simply because of fear and anxiety where I had the opportunity to do something and I didn't jump. And it's only been a few times because I've been able, and that's another thing, like this career that I have with MindLift, speaking and teaching and everything is about three years. And everybody's like, oh man, you did that in three years. It's like an overnight success and blah, blah, blah. I go like, well, you know, I started teaching when I was 17. Like I first performed on stage when I was 15 as a rapper. And then I started teaching music, like drumming and rapping to other kids when I was 17. I started uh, teaching uh, science when I was 19. So I have more than like 15,000 hours of being in front of people under my belt. And people don't see that. Right? So they, they don't recognize that that basic skill of getting on stage in front of people, which is one, my flow trigger. And I used to suck at it, but it felt so good. Like I wasn't really good at it the first 5,000 hours. Uh, but it just made me feel good. Even though my results, people didn't always like it, they didn't get my jokes, they didn't understand what I was talking about, but I just felt so charged that I kept doing it. Um, and then I got good at it, so it's, and my flow trigger, and I've had like all the practice that I could get in, in the short time that I've been alive. So um, that's why, you know, 
And and then I tell people like you should see me now it's Saturday I'm on stage I've lived up to this moment I'm in the flow you should see me fucking Monday morning when I'm like in the in the after drop of flow or when I have to answer emails yeah, like that's the thing that I, it's not the same person yeah, yeah you don't see me and I tell them and they go like oh everybody just relaxes yeah right and they I, think you're operating at that high level like all the time yeah which I'm not. You know, and some days I do, and I'm like, wow, everything's just flowing. But then I also know that that's temporary. You know, it's it's fleeting. Every state of your system is fleeting because it's supposed to move into another state. That's how we're built. You know, as, as human organisms, we're basically tubes, right? <laughs> I'll get to that later. But The tube theory. <laughs> the, the tube theory. And you have to move... You have to move from one state to the other flexibly. If you can do that, then you're healthy. But everybody thinks it's about attaining this one state, and then you're in that state, and you have to fucking hold on to this state. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I feel good state now. Yeah. Forever. Peak state, peak state, and then Permanent. when you're there, you have to enlightenment. Be there. Exactly. Like, yeah. But when Buddha was enlightened, he had to like get up and wipe his ass and be kind to his mother, like everybody does, right? And um, so it's not about attaining the one state. It's about flexibly being able to move between different states, the United States of the nervous system. <laughs> and I yeah. think that understanding that, understanding that when you're in, in the beginning, when I started teaching my first workshops and I had like a full weekend seminar and I was just like flowing and everything was amazing and people had the most amazing experiences. And then I was like, oh, I feel so good. I'm never going to stop feeling this good. And then the Monday after, I was just like full blown depressed for a day. I was like, what the fuck is this, man? And you said, it's the dark side of flow, man. And I was like, shit, that's right. And now I know when it's coming. Now I know how to pace myself. I, I've actually had uh, a really big, giant, like a gig uh, weekend festival. I was speaking for 2,000 people. I was like, it was weird, like a new level to me where I was like just doing autographs and answering questions all weekend. And I was like, what's happening, man? Um, Get and used was, to it. Well, <laughs> I'm trying. Well, that was the first time that I didn't have the afterdrop. Okay. Or, or like that dark That's side afterdrop. That's interesting because yeah. you were at this like higher amplitude yes. environment. But I didn't identify with it okay. as much. Yeah. So that was that's the one thing. Like if you every role in your life is just a role that we build up from expectations and projections. And especially if you're putting yourself out there, and this is an issue that a lot of like coaches and trainers and speakers are having. Um, and people that are active on social media is that you have a version of you that is shown to the world. The guru. The guru, or whatever it is, or the teacher, whatever the teacher. it is you are putting out there um, can be whatever you want it to Rock be. Rockstar. But the difference is, so the, the big flip is, like, do you think that is who you are or do you think that is what you're doing? It's, it's a role you're playing. And a role you're playing doesn't mean that it's fake. It's not like you're acting to be something you're not, but you're showing the world a version of you, a part of your life, um, and you're, you step into a role. Like it's not a role like an actor, but it's a role like I, I, when I when I when I woke up this morning and we were making hangry, horny boner jokes. I'm in a different role than when you're interviewing me. <laughs> yeah, right. It's still the same person. It's still Absolutely. genuine and authentic, right? And when I step on stage in front of a group of kids or in front of a group of Wim Hof fans, like I might may or may not say motherfucker more or less in one of the groups than the other one. Right. Right. And so it's just, so you switch around. Yeah. The thing is like identification with the role is where the suffering comes in because now you have this person that people know and that people look up to, which was my, a, a big thing for me. Like the imposter syndrome is fed by the idea that all of these people are looking up to me and they think I'm this amazing pe person, but I know who I am. Right. And Alan Watts jokes about this too. He goes like, well, you all think I'm Ellen Watson. That's great. But I know 
I'm Alan Watts, <laughs> and I know who I am, so I'm not as impressed, right? And I think that that's a, a good way to approach it because I, that really yeah, self humility, yeah, and but also like knowing that this is what people see in me is a reflection of them, and if I identify with the reflection that other people have of me, I'm going to be completely dependent from my happiness on what other people think that I am, and then you're really in trouble. And I've had the um, pleasure of doing coaching for a few people who are actually famous you know i've had i have like a very minimum i've had i've had like a microdose of fame uh where people within the scene they know me and like people who are in like these certain areas of interest they know who i am and they you know they 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 check me out they follow me they send me emails and stuff like that but if i've um done coaching for some people who are actually famous and i completely get how these people lose their mind because they learn to identify with the role they're playing. And then everybody's projection of what the role is becomes a part of um, affirming that identity to you. And then you're completely dependent on what everybody else believes on you. And right. that's misery. Yeah, so there's like a self-judgment that's happening. And then yeah. there's people that are judging them constantly because they're like, okay, I've seen you on stage, but then I've seen you behind the scenes. Yeah. And I see that you're a different person. And so they feel that as a, you know, entertainer or like a, a kind of celebrity or famous person. And so it's kind of difficult because you don't we don't really understand it unless we're in their shoes yeah right absolutely and also what i like to see now is that that's also a polarity where you have the you you have a mask everybody has a mask multiple masks but the most authentic people aren't the people without the mask they're the people who show that they have a mask on which is like, and it's so funny because when, when people ask me about you, like, who's this Tony Real guy? Like, is that his real name? What's with the, what's with like the beard and what's with like this? And before you always had the sunglasses, like what's with the sunglasses and what's, what does he do? And um, like, is he real? Is he just like making shit up? Is he just playing a role? And then I actually tell them like, Tony's the most. I feel my ego right now just being uh, inflated. <laughs> and I tell them like, Tony's the most authentic person in the world to me because he has like a persona. And then he shows you that it's a persona. And it's go like, look, this is my mask, and this is the real me. And they're both there. It's a polarity, and that's how you yeah. build balance. Yeah. That's that's what I like about uh, Jim Carrey lately, since he's like supposedly lost his mind, where he just realized that it, that's not him, right? And he's just showing like, look, I'm Jim Carrey. I'm making all these funny jokes, and this is me. But also, that's not me at all. Like, this is who I really am. And I think that's the art of of like building a persona, having. And because there's nothing wrong, like there's people go like, no, the ego must dissolve and die and blah, blah, blah. No, you need to just know that you're playing a game, which game you're playing, when you're playing it and how to switch between them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fluidity between the different masks that you wear as the ego. Yeah. And you name like all the different ones, like the imposter, there's the the judge, there's the... Yeah, those are mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you have different names for them. So yeah. the ability to like fluid fluidly like go through the different ones and even like play by play yeah call them out and say oh, okay this guy's or gal's in the driver's seat exactly. at the moment yeah and then um and then you can actually witness like how people are putting projections on you how you're putting projections out there and the reason i had that flow real thing because it's, it's like the artist in me when i fully accepted the shadow and the dark side of me 
then that's when like the true like full rainbow spectrum black and white and grays came out and yeah. i was like wow i have a personality holy shit i could use all these different paints of the ego to be me basically and so in your sense and and discovering that as well and then working with the celebrity clients um is that is that just something that um well how how can people relate to that like how could they uh learn to become more authentically whole well first of all you have to find the scariest darkest place in your mind and then kind of like start to shed light on it and look on it and go like what's there all right and we keep we keep things there and we think they're monsters and then you shed some light on them and it's actually not monsters at all i think that's a very important thing another thing is that a lot of people have a feeling for what they want to do for what makes them feel best in life like their flow trigger and i've been very lucky to experience the whole spectrum really early on so i really really early in life i found my flow trigger which is being on stage in front of people but i've also even much earlier on, uh, felt completely out of place and have like massive anxiety attacks and all kinds of diagnosis for different disorders and shit like that. So I've always seen that value. My life has never been very constant and it's not like I'm bipolar or something. It's just like I've seen my lows and I've used them to create my highs. What I think is really important, like you said, you're the artist, is that that thing you want to do most, you have to practice doing that. It's not, it's not something that happens to you. You do it. Well, it's some, also something that happens to you. But I mean, if you find yourself in that state you most want to be in and you can start to define who you are in that state, in that role, and then practice your ability to be there, that's where a lot of freedom comes from because then you don't have to have all these insecurities. Um, and that's what artists can really do. So famous people, they've honed their craft to a point where they can be completely messed up and jet-lagged and sick and whatever, and they go stage time. Stage time, boom, and they're there, which is what I did in, in LA and the, like the story we just referenced. So I think that once you find that thing, you, you find your high, right? You're going to have to ask yourself, what are the other things that create the lows? And then study them and just watch it happen and spend as much time switching from one state to the other as you can. And also, I think that um, being spending time free from input, um, learning who you are under pressure and under discomfort when there is no direct pressure or discomfort. So that's where the ice, for example, comes in. Right. So if you deal with stress or anxiety or like most people they only get anxiety because they are surprised by something that comes up when things get difficult. So we patternize our life around all the scary dark corners that I just mentioned. So a lot of people find these scary dark places really early on in life, right? You're in the schoolyard, somebody's mean to you, like you don't fit in, it makes you feel bad, and then you start to build this mask where you start pleasing everybody so everybody likes you. And you just carry that for the rest of your life. You just keep the mask on, right? And there's thousands of patterns like that. And then you build a life where you are as comfortable and as predictable as possible because comfort is just familiarity. Comfort right. is predictability. So even, a lot of people... Even in abuse. Exactly. So people stay in abusive relationships because they know how it works. And I literally speak to people who say, like, at least I know when I'm going to get beat up. 
right? So that's an, a comfort zone. And comfort's not really the right word because it's not fucking comfortable. But the only reason it feels comfortable is because your brain knows when it's coming and how it works. So it's the familiarity zone. It's, it's the predictability zone. So And then we build lives that are predictable and comfortable that kind of move around all the dark spots. And we just ignore that they're there. And then when life changes or intensity rises or there's stuff going on in the family or you get sick or whatever, suddenly there's this giant like um, mechanism, uh, a maze of dark corners that are suddenly there. And, and you don't know how to navigate them because you have no idea who you are when you face these dark sides. And that's why training people with ice, with exhaustion, heat works too, by the way, um, all of the most amazing shadow work I've done, I've done in the face of intensity. So it started for me when I was running and I could run about a 10K and I was like, you know what, I'm going to run a full marathon. And then, like after two or three hours, I was so exhausted. Everything hurt so much. I was in so much pain. I couldn't make another step. And that's when the work started. That's when stuff started coming up because my mind was so tired that it could no longer control which parts of me were coming up. And I just had to deal with certain things coming up. And a lot of people think this is extreme. Okay, fine. You can think it's extreme. But if you want to have extra extraordinary results, you're going to have to do some extraordinary things. And also in human history, this is not too extraordinary to do. Because we that's another very interesting thing that these moments of intensity and exhaustion that you're supposed to have, we're being shielded from it for our entire life. And then you're put into the world. And this is also like people hate on millennials. But where, do, where have millennials had the chance to learn how to deal with life? They haven't. Because everything is on a platter and also like the dopamine slot machine is always there. So they didn't have to go out and look for happiness because they have this version, fake version of happiness always in their head. Mm -hmm. And there's everything a man, a young man needs, which is like aggression and, and sexuality and intensity is all coming in through the screen. And we don't learn how to find it. So in all human rituals and all the tribes that has ever thrived... There is moments of created intensity to learn who you are as a man or as a woman, where you deal with the intensity and you grow from it, and then you know who you are, right? So that's what the vision quest is. If you're a Maasai, imagine being a Maasai boy and hearing like, you know what? If you're about 14, uh, we're going to send you into the forest, and if you don't kill a lion with your own hands, you will not become a man. Right, and over here it's like you're 18 now. You're a man. You get to drive and run for president. Go, oh shit! You know, who am I? Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, I found a lot of these. Actually, there's one ritual that I wrote about where they circumcise a boy, mm -hmm. and if he flinches, blinks, pulls back, or whatever, just go, cut off his foreskin. And if he flinches in any way, that was your only shot, bro. You're not a man. You can't regrow the foreskin. Yikes. That's it. Yeah, that's that's not a good like that's this pressure. is pressure. This is not this is not a parenting tip, ladies and gentlemen. I went dark, man. Not just but, kidding. <laughs> but that's uh, so for me, when I started doing harder things, more difficult things, my life got easier because I started to know who I was. Yeah, it reveals your true character. Yeah, when I had anxiety all the time and depression, I only did very, very easy things. I sat on the couch and I smoked and I was just dopamine slot machine all day, just video games, whatever I could find. And then when life would actually get difficult or intense, I had no idea who I was under those circumstances. How did you pull yourself out of that? I started doing harder things. Okay. So I started, the first thing I did was run. And I, But even before that, like what prompted you to start doing harder things? A lot of people are like, 
you know. Oh yeah. So actually, the, the big shift, like I said, I, I tried all these diets and nothing worked. I wanted to lose weight and I wanted to stop smoking and I just couldn't do it. And then I went to therapy for the first time in my life, which was amazing. I think everybody should be in therapy always. It's awesome. I still go to therapy every now and then, and it's just like so good to have somebody else really like look at your patterns and and it's their job, and they go like, no, no, you're just bullshitting yourself. It's so powerful. Um, but the first thing I did was hypnotherapy and hypnosis therapy is basically a guided meditation and they teach you self-hypnosis depending on who you find I mean there's a few really really shitty hypnotherapists out (laughs) there (laughs) Um, but the one I found I was like he was teaching me I was like oh I'm I'm learning hypnosis and then later on when I really got into meditation I was like no he was just teaching me how to meditate but how to use meditation as like a practical tool to build structure in my mind the point was that the hardest thing I ever did at that point that I realized I had to do through that therapy was talk to my dad and face myself being myself around my dad, right? So I meet, in my work, I meet hundreds of people who have the pleaser uh, dynamic uh, because I work a lot with uh, really like gentle, soft human beings who want to help like coaches and trainers and they're usually their pleasers. At some point in their life, they have had a reason to want to make everybody happy and also they have a natural, like the natural healer within them. So they have like this this, this built-in dynamic of I have something to give to the world and then they learn how to give themselves to the world at a really young age. Um, and when you're in that dynamic, yeah, you just learn that you have to always give and always be uh put yourself out there and yeah and and serve so not taking care of yourself not even listening to yourself yeah so i think that that's um one of the things that if when it comes to hardship and using hardship to grow you have to learn who you are when things get difficult and then see how that predominant thing um manifests and how you start to change your behavior um wait where was i going with this yeah so you you, you faced your father all right yeah. that's the thing yeah, yeah. yeah so so um right i almost lost that well that was a good uh, i almost lost that story it never happens to me it <laughs> uh, happens all the time yeah you're a human brother the uh no it's been like i always go from one story into another so that people who have that pleaser dynamic they usually uh have a person that they've learned to 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 please right so most young boys who don't have uh, a relationship at all or not the best relationship with their father, um, they need to be or do something. They feel that they always need to still be something, like they're not enough around this person. So I was my perfectionist was the strongest when I was around my father. I just recognized all of a sudden that I've never been able to accept help or ask for help. And I was, I was proud, like I can do everything myself. And then I realized, no, I have to actually just... The only thing I need to do now is tell my father I'm not doing well and go like, no, I'm not doing well. I burned out, like I'm in therapy. I I just don't feel so well. And I realized that whenever I speak to him or to some other characters in my life, um, that I become this completely different version of myself to try to be like this perfectionist. So, and I did that. I, 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 I just had a really casual 10 minute conversation that I've been fearing all my life, right? And two months later, suddenly, I had lost like five kilos of weight. Suddenly, I wasn't smoking all day. I was just smoking a few cigarettes. And I was like, what has actually changed? Like, how did I How did I try all those diets and nothing worked? And now I just randomly lose the weight? And I think back and I go like, wait, that was a pivotal moment. 
because I did that one hard thing that I was always scared to do. Um, and that became like the fundamental process of my work of development but also the work I do with people and this is also why I tell these stories because what I've learned is that the most like the more personal a story feels the more universal it is to anybody right and even if and people they ask me like how do you how do you tell these like really personal stories about your relationship with your father like in front of crowds and on podcasts and stuff and I go like well we all walk around with our masks on pretending we don't all feel the same scary stuff and it just takes a few people to stand up and say this scary stuff and make everybody go, ah, oh, that's, oh, that's, uh, when I, when I speak about the imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. especially when I'm in front of a crowd of like really, really smart people, when I speak for like doctors and neuroscientists and I'm just, I feel like I'm just some guy, I just tell them, I go like, I, just, I feel like such an imposter because yeah. I'm literally some guy off the street who started reading about neuroscience and being a smart ass about it. You guys all know your shit and they all go, oh, I'm so happy because they all know. And afterwards they come to me like, I'm so grateful you said that thing about the imposter thing, right? Yeah, it's a, the moment of connection to these people where from your, your place of vulnerability. Yeah. yeah, and I think we should all, this is, this is the era of time where everybody can tell their story. And like all of the taboos are dissolving and people can stand up and go like, hey, I actually never identified with my gender or actually, you know, uh, I've struggled with this issue my whole life and this is how I want. And to me, even in the points where I was, because I've, I've been ready to throw in the towel three or four times in this career since MindLift started where I was just like, no, I can't do it anymore. It's just too much and burn out. And then I actually, uh, yeah, I listened to Tim Ferriss. Uh, I, I I read Tim Ferriss' thing about suicide. I've never been suicidal, but I've definitely, well, like everybody, I, I, also another thing, I started speaking about it and I go like, holy shit, everybody has played with the thought of suicide. That's very interesting. Anyway, so Tim Ferriss at some point had a fucking gun in his mouth and he was ready to pull the trigger, right? And then he didn't and he became Tim Ferriss that we all know who's reaching millions and millions of people, right? Through telling the story. And I just always remind myself of that when I feel like I should quit or I should stop doing it. And I have this folder of people, like emails from people that I've impacted and, and like they get, they write the most insane testimonials that I don't even put online because I think like if I put this online, everybody's going to think I'm a charlatan. <laughs> everybody's going to think I made it up. But people like change their lives and all this stuff. And I read those things and I go like, no, it's it's this is bigger than me. Yeah, you know? that's why you're here. So there's uh, two things I had in mind was one, um, after you talked to your dad and then you a couple months later started to have these results that you've been like trying to get for, yeah. for a long time. Was it because there was like a psychic weight that was removed that kind of like you felt lighter and it just you've just found yourself at in two months uh weight lighter you're exercising more doing all these amazing things and then the second thing is how close are people to having a breakthrough because they they give up too early but like physiologically when you like release from that like maximum stress moment where you're ready to quit yeah you're literally like three feet from gold where you walk away and then all of a sudden like the day later you sleep on it the solution just like slaps you across the face yeah well i think those are both very much the same thing like if if the big pattern for you is need of approval and then turning into a pleaser version of yourself to get the approval, which is it's not my it's one of my dominant like uh, let's say um, dark sides, if you want to call it that. Um, once you 
Right, so here's the main principle. How you do anything is how you do everything. How you are anywhere is how you are everywhere. As soon as I learned that, I was like, fuck yeah, that's the thing. Because I changed my relationship with myself in relation to my relationship with my dad, right? So that means that the way I approach life has changed fundamentally because the the whole premise of I am not supposed to feel this, I am not supposed to speak about this, especially to this person, and then you change that, then suddenly the whole ground, the foundation for all the behavior that's keeping you away from that feeling falls away. So eating, smoking, all the video, everything I was doing was numbing. I was trying to get out of the present moment because if I was present with the moment, I was present with me and I didn't like me. That was painful. Yeah, exactly. So uh, even one of the reasons I slept so bad is I couldn't bear to be... Rah, bear. Sorry. <laughs> I should do that. I, I couldn't bear to be with my own mind for 10 minutes before I fell asleep. So I would be in bed and watch TV until I was ready to pass out. And the, the last little bit I could do was kind of like turn off the TV and pass out and then sleep. I've had periods where that was like, I was so uncomfortable with being me in my own skin. So, and now, you know, and, and if you look at that as a, as a lack of skill, now I have the skill of like um, early in the morning, empty stomach, bare feet, nothing but shorts, run up a mountain for five hours, right? That's how well I know myself now and how, how much I enjoy my own company now. And I still find these moments like that's how I learn. But to me, that's the same skill. So before I couldn't even lay in my own bed with, without freaking out about my own thoughts. And now I can really like trust myself in harsh environments and intensity. It, that's like the line of growth. And it was all progressive, basically. It's very progressive. Yeah, yeah it's like tiny, the tiniest possible steps, but every day a little step. So <clears throat> here's the point. If that one thing is your foundation for the behavior that's not helping you, your disempowering behavior, and whether it's, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's porn or violence or video games or drugs or smoking or, or pleasing or, you know, a lot of these things that we do, like, for example, reading the news mm -hmm. or gossiping. Procrastination. Or always, procrastination, always having to be around people. Any single thing that could, could um, diminish your happiness is behavior that we have chosen to be away from what we actually want to feel. So the big thing that I was the most scared of, I dealt with through hypnosis, through meditation, through fixing relationships in my family, or at least uh, resolving them. And then the foundation for that behavior of overeating and smoking and numbing my senses was gone. Or not gone, but I mean it took like, took, like the, the, the first part off. And then the behavior didn't have to manifest. So we try to change our behavior from the outside. That we look at the outside, oh, smoking, eating too much, too much chocolate, too much beer, blah blah blah, and we start to change those things. But all of those come from a source. And then if you go to the source, you change one thing in the source. You change how you respond to anything. Right. So the there's a linchpin there. Yeah. Yeah, you go with dang, start listening to yourself because all yeah. the things that you're dealing with, you're not dealing with. Exactly. Yeah. So that's pretty much what's going on with people and in, in my own life too is essentially I'm uncomfortable like being of a certain identity that's not working in the world. And so when I step out there, 
we all have these things, these shadow parts, these demons that we're not looking at and we want to be like the victim, Yeah, you know? So we start telling stories on why it's not working, why we're not successful, why I'm not learning, why I'm not smart enough, not good looking enough, whatever the reason is, right? And so you essentially started to see these things and then look inside and through different means, through the cold, the heat, through like endurance uh, exhaustion exhaustion yeah. and then also having like an actual hypnotherapist a, a therapist a coach uh, you started to look inside and then progressively deal with those things so that you didn't have to numb them through all these other mechanisms exactly. they're, they're always going to be there right we can't like change the environment of the world we can change what we can change but the world's always going to be there yeah. so it's like all these people are relying on uh, like, for example, support groups, like those are great in the beginning, but then you have identity to it and then you can never be around Man. alcohol. You can't ever be the around problem about, people. The, the thing is with a support group is that that becomes the new comfort zone. Right. And this is almost a dangerous area because people always get really pissed off. But if you all sit around and go like, this is my disease and I'm not, I'm not even like, I know people who are chronically ill from an incurable disease, right? Which is horrible. Like, I don't know how that feels but I know a lot of people who do. Then what a lot of them do is they, and this is natural, like I'm not saying this is negative behavior, but what, then they find other people who feel the same. So they're completely, everything they know about how the world works is taken from them. Then they found, find a group of people who have had the same experience and they go, oh, I found my tribe, and they relax. Then if a cure comes along, they don't want the cure because they have their new comfort zone within their new frame of mind and their new um, way of being, right? And then if a cure comes along, they go like, but then I have to give up everything that I know about how the world works again. Right. And I think that that process that you just described, it took me a lot of time, but uh, one thing I've really started to enjoy and get better at is to be able to uh, orchestrate a process like that. So now people come to my retreats and I've gotten, I've, I've worked with so many people that I can pretty quickly make out what somebody's predominant pattern is and how they behave when they're, when they're uncomfortable. And then we take them through like a full week of experiences that show them. So I'm not, all I'm doing is creating the experience and explaining how it works and show them how the pattern starts to work when they get uncomfortable or when they do something difficult. And they really, you can really get in there and do some deep work. And then if you take that same mind that has gone through the transformation back to life, then that's a massive shift. But then it's also really important to actually do the work and integrate the lessons. And because a lot of people, they go, you know, I like, oh, I need to go to Asia and travel and find myself. And they go there and they have the most amazing experiences and they become this entirely other p person. And it's awesome. And then they come back to their work and then they're like, oh, no, this is the way I'm in my environment. So understanding, you, you're right. So there is a world, there is an environment and you're always responding to the environment. Um, and then if you change yourself outside of the environment and you come back into the environment, it's a good chance you haven't changed at all because you're only changed in that different environment. Right. right. So there's people like, oh man, when I came back from that silent meditation retreat, I was just so enlightened and then I got back into the world and everything got fucked up again. Like, oh, after my, like when I came out of my ayahuasca experience, I was like, oh, I see everything and my third eye is open, but then the world closed my third eye again, right? <laughs> right. And I got to go do ayahuasca. No, I got to go do and ayahuasca again and, again, and again and again. And again. And the same thing, like people, they have a mountaintop experience. They climb Kilimanjaro and they're at the top and they're like, ah, oh, best moment of my life. And they leave the mountaintop experience on the mountaintop 
and they walk back and they go like, oh, life is shitty again. I need to do right. another mountain. Yeah. So it's like all of these different things. They're devils. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So the question is like, how do you respond to your environment? And of course, changing your environment is great. Like all of these things, things I mentioned, climbing mountains or doing ayahuasca or traveling, these are great ways to figure out who you are. If you do it in that way and if you also look at the main lessons you can take back and then really like on a daily basis get like that's why i've 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 um, come up with this term microdosing death microdosing death to reappreciate life so for example cold training is basically you give your body a little tiny dose of death what's like <gasps> what's going on and then it helps you and if you do it on a daily basis and like the same thing goes for uh with a half breathing when you basically go into hypoxia there's a moment where you don't have enough oxygen in your brain which is that sounds like a bad thing but it's just a training stimulus microdose a little bit of death and then your body and your mind get better at dealing with life but you have it consistently and every time you ask the question what am i learning so people who go and they use these methods like whether whether it's meditation or hypnosis or breathing or whatever it might be to become superhumans and they think like oh i do this and then i get better at that and then i can kick ass and i can do even more work and more to-do lists and more email and uh be more of this version that's not really my best version that's what they think yeah they can biohack they can hack yeah. everything into like super like peak experience yeah they think like the that and, and there's no viagra for enlightenment like and but people feel that that's the case so what they do is they um uh they forget the message when they go back to life and so I, for me, it's very, all of these things that we've just mentioned, all these modalities are about getting um, getting real with how you really feel in that moment and then asking what the right tools are and not, not most people become, just like there's this thing called orthorexia where people just eat so healthy that it's becoming obsessive behavior. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a, an obsessive, destructive, and there's a constructive and empowering way to do anything. Right. Including healthy food and including unhealthy food. Right. I mean, there's definitely healthy ways to eat unhealthy food. Right. So it's all about what mindset do you take to it? What's your state? And so how can people take all this information and bring it back to like their everyday life? You're a father, you know, you yeah. they just have to give me all their money and yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sign off their will. Right. Yeah. That's typical of cult behaviors. Yes. It's not a cult. <laughs> so yeah. How can people apply this when they get back to work, when they get back to their families, you know, when their baby's crying at night, like how are you able to, be resilient uh, with life in itself where you're not always escaping from it. Yeah, I think resiliency is very much about being able to switch between being... So we have thoughts and emotions and sensations and they're always there. There's always something going on. You're always feeling, thinking, or sensing something. But... It's also always coming and going. So it's fleeting. All of these things are temporary. Um, and they're also in polarities. So something comes up and you feel it and you either like it or you don't. It's bad or it's good. It's cold or it's warm or whatever. And then over time we start to want to pull. We, we have one part of the polarity that we like and one part of the polarity that we don't like. And we start pulling the one we don't like, uh, pulling the one we want and pushing the one we don't want. Um, what we're then ignoring is that those thoughts and feelings and sensations, which are temporary, they're always coming and going. 
we think that that's who we are. I am angry. I am tired. Right. So we identify with the state. What we then forget is what we are is the space, the unit, the organism in which those things happen. So these things are in constant flow, always in constant flow, in constant flow, and it's flowing through who you really are. And whether you want to call that, you know, consciousness or beingness or emptiness or space or whatever, whatever, or, or just like your physical, your vessel, you have the thing, the things that are happening and the things that it's happening in. So every time you have an experience, like a moment of enlightenment or however you want to call it, where you realize, right, that's what a, to me, what a moment of awareness or enlightenment is, where you step back and instead of being all those things that are going on in your life, right, that it becomes a doing. And then you realize you are something else and you go, hold on, actually, I am this um, fast, uh, changeless continuum whoa, whoa. In, in which things happen right the so witness. that's a moment of when people have when they everybody has like these mountaintop experiences like these moments of enlightenment they have this everything was just right and that was the moment that they re accepted reality as it was and they disengaged from the identification of whatever was going on and became something bigger and most people have it under certain circumstances so some people have it when they're skiing and they're getting to flow or surfing some people have it when they're in nature and they see an amazing view and they just realize that in this moment everything is so perfect that they don't have to identify with anything that's going on it's just happening right so and and then the other extreme is in emergency situations yeah because that's yeah, when, when there's like a, a really high intensity or like a near-death moments are also those moments. After people, I don't think anybody is ever happier than after a near-death moment, yeah. which is why microdosing death is such a good good thing to do. <laughs> right, right. I should but write a book like, called Microdosing Ironically, death. like some soldiers coming back from war, they're a little bit like confused because it's, it's kind of like too mellow for them, you know? Yeah, yeah, because they got addicted. I even had that when I was in nature last week in Norway. I was just like, everything was so calm and I noticed I kept my mind busy so much that I had a hard time dealing with how awesome nature was just being there, right? So everybody goes through these loops, but for integration, what I found the most powerful thing is to take that little feeling that you have once you have the moment of awareness to, to really focus on the feeling of that moment of awareness and how that really feels regardless of where you had it so whether it was i don't know a psychedelic a mountaintop experience a near death a breathing thing a, whatever it was that gave you the experience try to take your focus away from what gave it to you and put your focus on how you made that feeling and then see if you can look for that feeling invite the feeling into your life on a daily basis so i think integration comes from being able to make that little switch once you have the awareness that there is a you outside of all the stuff that's going on in your life then you can step into that part of you so like which is for me getting up at night three or four times to a crying baby, being completely exhausted, having to do shit ton of work, uh, just like feeling like you're going to lose it from sleep deprivation. I've been there quite a few times. Um, and then all like your demons come up and you become like, you go like, oh, 
you think things that you're not supposed to think and you feel like all oh, this oh shit and I'm this and now I'm a horrible person because I didn't like do this in the right way and oh, you just get so caught up in it if you can then just take one step back and instead of being all of those things you watch them for a second and not even try to change them because everybody goes like oh I can be the watcher and then I can go in and I can change all those things now don't change anything just recognize that that's not you and whatever you can do to get that first experience of awareness of expanded consciousness where you see you are not those things then the question is how do I feel that once every day and then the question is how do I feel that under um, difficult circumstances because when you're sailing or when you're skiing and when you're in nature and when you're like at the ayahuasca resort with everything perfect in the jungle, then it's easy to find. But how do you find it when you've got your elbows into shit with like diapers and like mm -hmm. you have to get your kids out of the house on time, you didn't buy food, you need to like answer emails. How do you find it then? Yeah. Right. And that's practice because it's just a muscle that you can train. So it seems like the common theme is to microdose these these little steps when you're, you know, when shit hits the fan, yeah. you know, it's like you guys actually see it as an opportunity. You're able to become aware quicker. And like with time, you can see that you're like getting better during yes. these like uh, real like stressful, chaotic situations. So um, have you felt now knowing all this information and integrating that you're like up leveling or you feel like a level of a new person per se like yeah almost because it seems like if you look back in the last like few years you're almost rec unrecognizable like you said with your before and after picture that you're yeah. gonna post but i recognize me more than ever before last few months especially i have like and when i say i recognize me and everybody has this deep remembering of being a child and feeling like you yourself like when you're a child and you're allowed to play outside or to jump in the puddles or to do whatever it is you want to sing or whatever, there's this feeling of really being yourself in your own body. And to me, all of the change that I've made that looks like change on the outside, to me has been evolution to that state. So now I'm feeling much, much more myself than I've ever felt. And then people, they get to know you at a certain point in life and they go like, oh, this is you, who you are. And but they only see the patterns and the masks and the persona. And then when I started to change, a lot of people were like, oh, man, like you're not yourself anymore. Like, who are you becoming? And and I go like, no, no I know who I am and who I'm becoming, because the more of the patterns I let go, the more of that natural me I can actually be. And that's that actual definition of confidence to me is that as I get to know myself more and more and be more and more me. I don't have to be confident. I just am. Yeah. And and it's like, oh damn, that's that's what confident actually means. Yes. You know, I don't have to fake it till I make it. You know, it's a it's a just a beingness, it's the closest thing I could like describe. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that you could see it as leveling up or whatever, like but, yeah. you pick a direction where you want to go. For me, I think I think um uh, leveling up used to be my analogy that worked for me because I got better at things. I could see myself grow towards different things. Like I got better with money. I got better with movement, get better lifting heavier. Now what I'm trying to, and it's not like that's a wrong thing, but I just noticed that right now with some more um, helpful analogy for me is to think about being more centered. 
Mm. Because centered now has become, um, I used to call it more in touch, but then I know that's kind of, so now I call it centered because that means that the that real me feeling, the, the higher self, or whatever you want to call it, that little kid playing around, uh, gets to stand in the center. And then the other, all of the other parts of me and my behaviors and patterns and everything are still there, but they're balanced around the center. Right. And I'm in the center and I get to kind of like orchestrate yeah. which of the parts are there. So you're an orchestrator that's creating harmony between yes. all the notes, between the high notes, the low notes. The Before it was like range. peak state, optimization, leveling yeah, up. Yeah. And now it's like... Like skilled, adapt. Like, exactly, yeah, like optimal. resilient. And now I'm like, now it's more harmony. centered. Harmony, wholeness, those are like more words that fit me now. Yeah. It also might be like, you know, I don't know if it comes with growing or with like age or whatever, but yeah, when you're younger, it's just like drive and it's just like the next thing on the horizon, the next thing on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, I am the horizon. (laughs) So if you don't mind me asking, uh, you, I've noticed you become a like way better listener as of late. And um, you've been going through a lot these last few months as well, like relationship wise. Yeah. And what what how have you been able to like work through this? Because I've, I've gone through, you know, separation, divorce, and it was like one of the most horrible experiences to go through. But it, it, it on the other side, I'm so happy that I went through that because I really like discovered like who I really am and just really saw that, you know, my wife at the time and I, we just had different visions of life and we were able to go about it in a very like harmonious, like friendly way. That's unlike a lot of like divorces that you hear. Well, you know, in relationships, everything is 50, 50. I can only speak to my own experience, but what I think is, well, more in a common way, we always learn who we are in relationship to other things. So, for example, we learn who we are in relationship to a stimulus, like the cold, like we've, or, or like the things we like and we don't like. So, any relationship that you're in, whether it's work or personal, whatever, it shapes you in a certain way. And then when the relationship changes, I, I don't think relationships disappear. They just change. They become something difficult. Then you have to change by effect because you have been somebody in a certain context. And if the context change, you will change. And whether you change uh, a romantic relationship or a friendship or go to a different environment, you move, you change because your environment is difficult. And the things you relate to are different. But like you said, like I have definitely become a better listener. Um, because I've had to learn to listen to myself much, much more. And if you're in a committed relationship for a really long time, you learn to always have that other person. You have a two-person counsel for life. And every single thing that comes up in your mind runs by the relationship filter of the other person. And this is also this, like in a broader sense, this goes for work, like people who work for a boss, whatever they think or they want to do, it always runs by the filter of the boss. And then if they no longer accept that filter their job becomes miserable and then they quit and they feel so free because they've given themselves freedom so i think a lot of people who are able to stay aware of what they're feeling and to see it as an opportunity for so i see everything as an opportunity for growth because it's just a given like i've been through some bad shit in my life and some of the most difficult things have 
happened in the last year, but I've also never grown and never felt as good as I have through the last year. I've also never felt as shitty as I have in the last year. So I can just see it as a whole and know that that whole thing has come together in a way where I was able to grow from it, which is the most important thing for me. So when relationships go bad, is not the right term, but when they change, you learn who you are in a relationship. And one thing I've noticed is that I was, I've been so focused on output in the last three years of my life because I'm giving my gift to the world. I'm just giving, I'm giving, I'm giving, just everything. Every single day, 12 hours of work, like sending out the emails, responding to everything, writing the posts, teaching, everything is giving. And uh, I realized that I've, I had uh, taken out, for me personally, uh, the option for even receiving. And then, for example, I realized that in a conversation with somebody in my professional role, I will always listen with a professional ear and seek for people ask me a question and because they want an answer. So when they're listening, I'm already making the answer in my head and I'm not actually listening. Right? So it's stuff like that that I've been able to see much more clearly recently. And yeah, I think that these uh, periods of revolution in life, anybody, well, there's kind of two options. There's people who go like, that thing happened. It's the worst thing that ever happened. The crisis. And it negatively impacted my life in this way and I'm still suffering. And then there's people who go, this thing happened. It was the worst thing that ever happened. And now I'm so much better for it because of these reasons. I think that the scenario that happens doesn't matter at all. I think you can make the choice whether... And somebody asked me, like, is this about... I don't even know about what it was. It might be... Well, anyway, they said, like... so what's or they ask me what's the worst thing that ever happened to you and i go like well everything that ever happened to me is the only thing that ever happened to me so it is both the worst and the best thing that ever happened to me because it's the only thing that ever happened right the question is which part do you focus on and do you turn it into the best thing that ever happened and if i look at periods of my life there's a lot of things that have happened where in the moment I was like, this is the worst thing that ever happened. And then a period later, I could look back on it and I go like, whoa, the growth that I made from that worst thing is actually the best thing that ever happened. And so it's all there, always. Final question is, um, you know, procrastination because people are always thinking about deciding or choosing and not knowing like when to like stay in longer or get out, you know? So how's one able to, or what is it that you do to decide when to, you know, suffer or, and be in pain, for example, and, and, and go into your shadow. And then when you like realize, you know, this is enough because there's all these like techniques and methods out there that are about detoxing and like fixing things and, you know, fixing something that's broken. And it's like, you know, they're always looking at like the human as being a problem and people are always seeing that they're a problem. And so all these industries are built on, yeah exploiting these insecurities and so all that all stands back to yourself like how are you able to know when is when yeah i'll answer the question about procrastination tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) the um i used to have a plan and go like oh i'm here now i need to be at that level then i need to do this to get at that level um now it's much more of flow reality and I've been able to really trust 
the flow of life more and more recently. And my main um, principle in that is follow the learning curve. So I don't go, where do I get the most results? Where do I get the, the most of what I want? Because wanting things creates a lot of suffering, right? So a lot of people, they try to change these things, like do the diet or do like the cold or whatever it is because they want something. And then when they have it, they're still wanting. And if you focus on wanting, you're always going to want. So focus on having shows you how much you already have. From there, you can go, where do I learn most? And it just so happens that that is usually outside of your comfort zone because it's outside of your familiarity zone and you can only learn new things outside of where things are familiar. So I try to follow the learning curve and ask like, how not what can I learn because then I'm goal oriented like I want to learn this and this and that and I go like how much can I learn or how well can I learn with how much enjoyment can I learn um, so for example this last year I've gained about five kilos of muscle mass while losing about seven kilos of fat which was an experiment to me so it's not a, I, I had that thing in my mind I go like I want to exchange this amount of body fat for lean muscle mass and then that be, can become a goal. And then I go like, no, I want to focus on the process. So how can I do that? How can I learn so much about my body that that naturally happens? Um, because if you do that and you have a diet, a strict diet and a training schedule, you're going to use that external source to force yourself to do these things. And then you're learning less effectively. So as soon as you have your training schedule and you have your whole plan worked out and you start strictly following the plan, that is a good way to get somewhere. But it's also... It, it can inhibit your learning. So I try to look into the world with fresh eyes every day. This is something I'm learning from my daughter, just to wake up and to go like, all right, so what does the world, what does reality look like right now? Where does my energy naturally flow? And I have this new thing that I put on my vision board. It says, so I used to have a vision board with like all these goals and like I want that car and I want that house and I want this thing. And now it just says, the first thing it says is you're going to die. And then it says, find the others. Um, then it says, don't be a dick. It's just a general good rule in life. <laughs> and then it says, go for flow. Uh, and if it don't flow, I don't go. And of course, there's things that feel like they don't. There's certain things you have to do, of course. Like some people, they go, when I say this stuff, people go like, well, Casper, some people actually have a job and need to work, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay, that's right. But still, within that, within that frame of things you have to do, you can see which things flow most. And even if my circumstances don't flow and they're the same, how can I flow within that? Yeah, and just find you the- notice the resistance. Exactly, it's all, and so now I, the, the first thing I do every morning- And reframe it. Reframe it, but also just release it. So now my morning ritual, and I've been studying this Sedona method, which is really powerful for this, I just sit down and I ask myself, what, is there any resistance right now? And I release it. And then I go through whatever I've planned for the day and I just kind of like see it in my mind. And every time I feel resistance for something I want to do, I let go of the resistance and not of the thing I need to do. I look at my to-do list and I just go like, read the thing on a to-do list, take a breath and feel what I feel. If I feel any resistance, I like, oh, could I let go of this resistance? Instead of not doing the thing or procrastinating on the thing, just see if you can get let go of the resistance. A lot of times it'll naturally just happen. Right. So there's a feedback loop that's going on. And I love the analogy of like the cell phone with the signal strength yes. you know, and resistance and static. And so when you're feeling resistance to a particular thing that you have to do for that day, you sit in with it and feel it and then let it go. 
Yeah. And then in some way, what happens in that moment? Do you go back to like five, far, five full bar strengths? Yeah, I, I give it space. You get clarity. Yeah. So the, what I've realized is that uh, what we do with resistance is we're taking our energy and we're, which wants to go to somewhere and we try to point it to another way. So imagine like seeing a river stream and going like, no, that's not the right stream. And you stand in it and you push against it. It costs a lot of energy to hold back the water and to kind of like, oh, now I'm losing it here. And now it has to go there. So as soon as I give it all the space it needs and I stop resisting it, there's just more energy at your disposal because you're, you stop expending energy. It's like holding a weight and then letting go of the weight. You have more energy present. This is not like an esoteric thing like, oh, I feel my energy flow more, which of course it also is. But when, when I talk about energy and it flowing through your body, people go like, oh, yeah, that's kind of like the cosmic esoteric woo-woo energy. No, no, we don't no, believe no, in that, son. We're talking about electric city. Yeah, <laughs> but this is electric city, man, yeah. for sure. <laughs> and um, if you are resisting something, you are expending energy towards something. You're pushing against it. And then if you stop you're, pushing, you're you draining. Have, yeah, you're draining it. Like imagine standing in the waterfall and like holding it back and it costs energy. And then if you stop resisting it, you have more energy. And we've learned to link state and energy. So you have a certain state and it costs energy and you go like, yeah, but this is the energy I'm getting. So this is what I need to expend. But we don't see that you have your energy, which you, like I'm talking literal ATP, electrical movement, heat energy that you have at, you know, disposable life. in your body, life. Um, a very scientific life it's there and you can expend it to certain things and expend, uh, the energy is neutral it's completely neutral and it can transform into any form and then we get the form of anger we get the form of resistance we get the form of sadness and we go no I don't want that one and we push away not just the feeling but also the energy below it and that's how we get this massive drain if we just allow the energy to flow, if you let the anger play out the way it wants to play out, if you just allow yourself to feel the emotion, the state that you're in, and finish the state, then the energy can, it doesn't, you don't lose energy towards anger. It transforms into the next thing if you allow it to, to be that. So just sitting down and being, and I like, I have this whole morning ritual where I do breathing and I sit in front of the red light lamp with my balls and like, and I do the releasing <laughs> process while I'm sitting there. Like, and there's all these things that make it easier for me because it's ritual now. Uh, but I have to ask the question every day as though it, I reinvent the question. So in the same way, my daughter comes down and she looks at her toys and she completely reinvents the way that she, she looks at them as though they're, she's playing with them for the first time. And every now and then she finds a story and she plays the story for four or five days. And then the sixth day, she's like, oh, completely new reinvention of life, basically. And if I can sit down with that mindset and really go like all right how do i feel and ask it like it's the first time i've ever asked myself and really be open because i know that there's going to be resistance i know that there's going to be maybe some anxiety because i've always had it but if i expect it to be there i can't really work with it as effectively so i just go like, try to ask the question completely new it's a new day every day is completely new that's beautiful, man. So we're going to wrap up. Wrap. Uh, wrap. Uh, thanks for coming on to the Flow Reality Hangry and Horny, bro. Flow Reality, <laughs> baby. Got the shiny shirt on. Uh, how can people find you on social media, get your book? The uh, best place to find me is uh, Instagram, 
at Kaspersfocus, K-A-S-P-E-R-S-F-O-C-U-S in the building, in the Instagrams. And from there, I'll link to everything else. Instagram is the best place to hang out. Okay, so they'll find your book on Instagram yep. and all that stuff. That's all there, man. Any Insta final words, brother? Any final words? I'm hungry and horny, bro. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you for coming on uh, the show, Casper. It's my pleasure. I love you, brother. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Peace. Peace out. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Hangry and Horny with my dear friend, Casper Vandermoylen. You can find Casper on Instagram at K A S P E R S F. O-C-U-S, that's Casper's Focus on Instagram. That's information on what he's up to, um, including his website where you can purchase his book. I believe you can also get that on Amazon. And he also has an audio version. So check out at Casper's Focus on Instagram and find out more. Reach out to him. Super awesome person on how to optimize and really really learn how to you know tap into your potential in life i want to give a big shout out to my sponsors at f-bomb nut butters they have amazing nut butters uh, macadamia based multiple flavors Um, it's a really great and easy way to get healthy fats into your diet whether you're vegetarian vegan paleo ketogenic or whatever nutritional uh, subscription or dietary requirements that you have uh, it's always good to get healthy fats into our diet it really helps the brain and our cell membranes all the hormones so check out drop f-bomb.com use the promo coupon code flow real that's f-l-o-w-r-e-a-l and you'll get 20 percent off of your first order they have, again, lots of different flavors of macadamia, macadamia nut butters. They also carry MCT oils, avocado oil, and uh, olive, olive oil. So check out dropinfbomb.com and use that promo code FLOWREAL. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and see you on the next episode of Hangry and Horny. Late.